WBUR Podcasts, Boston. Hi, this is Steve. Just a quick word of warning. We wanted to let you know that we'll be discussing intimate partner violence on this episode. Hello, Steve Allen. Hello, Cheryl Strayed. Let's get right into it. My story is I fell madly in love with a young man, and he fell madly in love for me. We shared the same dream to break out of our small hometown and travel to California. And that's exactly what we did. We hopped in our cars and we drove across the country together with no real plan. And it was amazing, except when it wasn't. Um, The more time we spent together was peppered with these arguments and the arguments grew in intensity. And while we both loved each other very, very much, um, it seems that neither of us could figure out why our arguments were getting so bad. Um, After about a year out in California together, our arguments had reached a point where they were just straight up nasty. Um, And it got to the point where he struck me um, in my face three times. And I experienced feelings of shame and guilt and, you know, the question of, how could I have let myself be be in a relationship or in a position where my lover has physically hit me? So after that, we split up. Um, he fled five hours north and ended up getting checked in and out to a couple mental hospitals. He had an extremely hard time coping with what happened. Um, I did great. I kind of soared on, got some good jobs, went on three different dates. I became part of the Unity Church. Everything was going well. And it's been five months since um, our, our fight, and I, I feel um, he made his way back to me, Sugars. He came back. And things are good, and communication is open, and we've been able to hash through what had happened. But I'm still struggling with this shame. Um, nobody knows. I can't talk to my friends. I can't talk to my family. I can't talk to anybody. Um, we moved across the country together, away from our friends and family, and now we're both out here in California um, with only each other. But my question is, what happens to me when I'm struggling with the shame of willingly loving somebody who has hit me in my face? I've never been hit before in my life. And he's hit me. Is this acceptable? Is this okay? Can people change? And I love him. Love is not simple. Please help. Welcome to Dear Sugars. That is the voice of our caller. And we're calling her struggling with shame. Mm-hmm. And struggling with shame, I want to say, what a powerful experience it was for me to hear your voice and and to hear the the shame and confusion and mm. and fear and uncertainty and i think that as alone as you may feel in this i just want to tell you there are so many people listening right now and and people i know and, and even to some extent in my own life um who can relate to this mix of feelings you're having i was born into uh, a marriage where there was domestic violence. My father abused my mom, 
And I did find myself really remembering some of the dynamics at play as I listened to your voice on that phone call. And one of them was, you know, the horror of the assault. And the other piece of that is the confusion you feel about the fact that you still love this man. Right. And that, in fact, you've taken him back. Some of my earliest memories are being the child of a woman who was conflicted for many reasons. Like, well, maybe I deserve to be hit. Maybe, you know, part of the piece of this shame is that I did something wrong that caused him such rage. Um, The other one being maybe this time will be the last time. And in some ways, I understand that part of this abusive cycle is, you know, wanting it to be okay again, wanting that person who hurt you to stop hurting you, to say, oh my goodness, that wasn't me. It was all a big mistake. And I saw this in my mom, um, I, even as a child who witnessed this abuse, I wanted to believe my dad's story that he loved her and us more than anything in the world and he would never, ever again do anything to hurt us. It's a very, very powerful impulse and it's a healing impulse. Mm-hmm. I remember very distinctly when I was six, my mom said enough and she decided that she would end her relationship with my dad and divorce him. She was like 26 or 27. She had three kids. You know, it was very difficult for her um, to leave him for for many reasons. Um, But one of them is that really, I'm sad to say, is that I, as a six-year-old, even though I hated the violence and I would weep and sob and live in terror of my father, I did not want my mom to leave him. Right. And it was because I loved my dad. And I begged my mother when she made that final decision to leave him. I said, please, he'll change. I I remember saying, how about he lives next door? Mm. You know, I didn't want to lose that love. Mm. And I think one of the saddest lines in this letter to me, struggling with shame, is I love him. And the reason that that's sad to me is that the truth of it is every abuser and victim of, of abuse, they love each other. Love is part of this abuse cycle. Mm-hmm. It certainly, love does not stand as any reason to stay together or tolerate this right. or take him back or forgive him or any of these things. Right. Love is beside the point. What's at issue here isn't love, it's abuse. And what you mustn't do in this moment is partake of the magical thinking that you can return to the beautiful, loving part of the relationship if only you will overlook that he struck you in the face three times. I thought, of course, immediately of what we talk about when we talk about love, uh, the beautiful Raymond Carver story where Mel McGinnis, uh, this cardiologist who's in a relationship, his second wife, was married to an abuser. And his wife is saying to him through the whole story, but Mel, he loved me. Can't you at least grant me that, that he loved me? It's really the most painful moments in that story. And it speaks precisely to what Cheryl is is mentioning, struggling with shame, which is um, there is a kind of common cycle where there's anger and abuse, and that's followed by a, a sudden rush of intimacy and belief in the depth of that love. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's something very interesting going on in the area of shame with you. You you say, first, you felt ashamed that he hit you. And yeah. I think that that's, you know, a really common and universal feeling. Most people think of themselves as strong and able to make good decisions and choose good partners. And then suddenly they're on the other end of a, of a violent assault. 
And there is that sense of like, what did I do to get us here? Right. And I want to say to you, struggling with shame, you did nothing. You were the the victim of a crime uh, that was perpetrated against you, and you have none of the the responsibility for it. Um, it really is on your partner that he assaulted you. The other piece that you feel ashamed about is that you have taken him back. And, you know, the fact that you feel ashamed about that decision is a big red flag for me. Like, if it is true, if if, if we want to believe this one version of events, which is this, your boyfriend really lost his temper and behaved in a way that he could have never predicted and that he's horrified about and he's made all kinds of amends and changes, and he's still in process um, with doing the work to ensure that he'll never do this again, okay? If that were really true, and he never does assault anyone again, I think that that shame piece would maybe not be there, because this would be something that you would be, in some ways, um, negotiating and navigating in the plain light of day, right? In an, in a kind of open way. You're protecting his secret, by deciding not to get support um, with your friends and family. You're making it a secret. That's right. Yeah. And it's also worth asking yourself, is a portion of the shame that I feel the sense that you might be putting yourself in danger again, Mm -hmm. that you're complicit with his abusive behaviors? And really, the only way that you can uh, at least rid yourself of that portion of the shame is to make sure that you hold him accountable for his actions. You know, underneath this specific question is a deeper question, uh, which is, you know, that somebody who has been physically abusive can find a way to curb that behavior and function in a healthy way within a loving relationship. Steve, we have to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to call our guest, Esther Solar. She's the president and founder of Futures Without Violence, an advocacy organization designed to end violence against women and children. Her organization was the driving force behind the passage of the original Violence Against Women Act of 1994. After the break, we'll give her a call. Great. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging 
in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. Hello, is this Esther? Is this Cheryl? This is Cheryl Strayed, yes. I'm here with Steve Almond. Hi. Hey. Hi, sugars. I love it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, and we're just really honored that you're taking the time to to talk to us about this complicated situation that this young woman has presented to us. Oh, absolutely. I'm curious about um, her call ends in this series of questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've never been hit before. Is this acceptable? Is it okay? Can people change? Well, first of all, I'm really sorry that yeah. it happened to her. And I've heard the story so many times, and it's it's shocking and scary when someone you love uh, and trust hurts you. So I have to say that, um, yes, I think it's possible that somebody can change. Um, but I also would say he's already hit you. And yes, um, it's certainly possible that it might not happen again, but it's unlikely. And what I would also say is, what is he doing in terms of working on right. the fact that he hurt you mm-hmm. and hit you? You can love someone, but you can't will the change behavior. The behavior needs to change by the person who is doing the assaulting. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions based on what you just said. The first one is, you said it's unlikely that he'll never do it again. Why do you say that? Well, just uh, based on experience, one in three women in the U.S has experienced violence, and what we know is it's often not a one-time occurrence. Now, this could be a situation where it is. I'm somebody who really does look at all the data, and it does happen that um, it is possible. So I'm not suggesting that it's never possible. It is unlikely, however. I mean, we've heard so many times, Cheryl, that uh, he said he was sorry, that it would never happen again, but that's what he said the last time. And I think the assessment is, what is he doing? What work is he doing? Is he getting the help that he needs? And also trust your instincts. If you're feeling that it might happen again, if the arguments and the disparaging behavior starts occurring with a repetitive factor here, pay attention to that. Because you want to believe that you can make a change, that you can make a change for him. It just doesn't happen that way, unfortunately. And I guess the other question is, who's in your life to give you support? Your friends, your uh, co-workers, so that you have a support system around you and you're not isolated. That's what I would worry about is, are you with a person and you're isolated with in that relationship, and he is the only person that you're really connecting to, that I would be concerned about. Well, unfortunately, Esther, as we heard from Struggling with Shame, we moved across the country together away from our friends and family, and now we're both out here in California with only each other. Um, What's more, she says, uh, I can't talk to my friends, I can't talk to my family, I can't talk to anybody. So, you know, Struggling with Shame, we're, we're... focusing on that because 
that it sounds like is a quite a dangerous situation to be in, to put it bluntly. You're keeping a silence around this abuse and you're in a circumstance where physically it doesn't sound like you have anybody in your life that you're close with who's around. You're on an island. And also there is a mention of this man getting checked in and out to a couple of mental hospitals But it's unclear from struggling with shame's response. She says, we've been able to hash through what happened. Communication is open. But I think you're talking about measures that are more than just having a deep heart to heart. Mm -hmm. I think you're talking about things like, is he seeking therapy? Is he seeking medication, if that might be helpful? Is he managing his mental health and the extent to which he's doing the difficult work of figuring out both why he was violent towards you and assaulted you and also why you guys together were unable to resolve arguments. They continue to escalate. It wasn't just a bad thing that happened. The man that you love proved himself in a moment of stress and anger to be capable of injuring you physically and putting you in danger. And both of you, he in particular, but both of you have to reckon with that. He has uh, a dangerous part of his personality that he needs to actively try to heal, manage, and uh, ensure that it will not reappear before you should let him anywhere near your heart, let alone your body. Yeah, um, well, first of all, on the is he getting help, my question would be, what kind of help is he getting? Now, um, I do think that over the last 30 years, we have been increasingly successful in providing resources to men who have used violence to figure out effective strategies to stop the violence. Uh, Does it work every time? Absolutely not. But does it work more often than not? Increasingly. So I would really encourage the listener to encourage the love in her life to seek help in a community that they are currently living in. So he has the tools uh, to deal with the violence um, that he obviously expressed. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is um, by not speaking to other friends and family members because of the shame, I would also encourage the listener to seek help, to seek some, whether it's a friend, a coworker, if she's a member of a religious organization, or there's also a resource that's absolutely fantastic that has been around now for over 25 or 30 years. It's called the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and it's available 24-7. I actually know the number by heart. It's 1-800-799-7233. And they have trained counselors who can help this person struggle with the fact that she's living with the shame and not talking to anybody. And if you are continuing to be in this relationship, you don't want to be in a relationship that you are ashamed of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There are a a lot of unanswered questions um, about this relationship. For instance, uh, struggling with shame tells us that Uh, We both loved each other very, very much. It seems that neither of us could figure out why our arguments were getting so bad. So there's this escalation of recrimination and anger that leads to this violent outburst. And then um, once actually this partner leaves, struggling with shame is, is doing pretty well. You know, she's 
getting jobs. She's going on dates. She becomes part of a church community. And then Mm. she tells us that he made his way back to me. He came back. And I thought that was an odd sort of way to put it because Mm. it, it implies that somehow he'd abandoned her as opposed to he'd hit her in the face three times. Mm. Uh, I guess what I'm wondering is, and I don't want to make too much of it, struggling with shame knows her own circumstances better than we do, but the way that it's presented to us is not, I let him back into my life, or I decided that um, even though he had had this outburst, uh, he convinced me through X, Y, and Z statement of what he was doing to try to rectify the problem, to deal with the anger and and its expression as violence. Uh, I I therefore consented to to being back in the relationship. I took him back. The way she Mm -hmm. puts it is just the opposite. It's as if he um, fled somewhere and it's just enough for him to return to be allowed back into the relationship. Mm -hmm. One of the things, Esther, I was really struck by when we were preparing uh, to record this episode and preparing for this season, I, I posted something on my social media, you know, can we ever forgive physical violence in a relationship? And, you know, I'm a longtime feminist, and my father Mm. abused my mother in front of me and my siblings a Mm. lot, and terribly so. And, you Mm. know, one of the lines that I've always held is, uh, nope, one one incidence of physical violence and it's over. And and what was interesting to me when I even proposed or hinted at that somebody might be forgiven for this and their relationship can continue, many people uh, commented on my Instagram and my Facebook and so forth saying, Oh, no, no, you know, please don't tell me you're going to condone this by saying such an act can be forgiven. And I felt defensive because I must say I'm like, that's right. My my instinct, really, if, if I'm going to be perfectly frank, I would say, yeah. no, you know, it's not OK. And you should end this relationship right. and you should do it now. And I'm just right. curious about you know, where where you fall when it comes to the, uh-huh. the kind of doctrine, you know, there is a kind of, right? right, right? right. Well, yeah, well, and I'm sorry, you did, you lived through that too. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I think it's wrong. I, I, I don't think it's acceptable. I think that's why we worked on the Violence Against Women Act. And early on, we said, it's not acceptable. It's criminal behavior. It has to stop. Um, And there's no excuse. So on the other hand, I don't want to judge everybody in a way that says, if it happened once, and then you set the course so that he gets the help he needs, and you're connected to your community. And if you choose as a person to forgive, I don't want to say that you absolutely should not go on that journey. I I will tell you, I think it's likely to happen again, and that's not okay. And you better beware of that. Um, But I don't want to judge the person who decides to try to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, that's what I, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I personally feel like it's unacceptable. There's no excuse. And in many cases, it's actually criminal behavior. So yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. You did. But, and I mean, I think yeah. for my, what I grappled with myself is, you know, I have yeah. a zero tolerance yeah. policy about this. And yeah, yet, of course. you know, of course. and yet what's interesting about being somebody who is on the other end of of these letters and calls is that you know the perfect scenario is is nobody perpetrates violence against anyone exactly. and, well, that's and and my then, life's work i'm trying to make right. that happen <laughs> but what we know and as our caller said love is not simple sometimes yeah. um people do terrible things to each other 
people often do go back to somebody who has abused them. Um, so the reality, um, the ideal is zero tolerance. The reality is that a lot of people have and do tolerate this sort of stuff in their relationships and they're left to grapple with it, which is why I think this young woman called us because she's alone. She can't talk about it. It's yep. shameful to right. talk about. Yep. And, right. Um, right. you know, so I want her to hear loud and clear that we we are advocating for zero tolerance. We're We're afraid for you. Um, right. And right. and we're also open to the possibility that your partner um, could change, but he needs to be doing that work. Right. And I think the That's deepest exactly question right. that you have to ask yourself is, is he? Right. Are you the one working on this or is he? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And also saying sorry is not is not the work. Yes, exactly. L- love is not simple, but l- love is not physically abusive. Yeah. And that is relatively exactly right. simple. I mean, uh, you know, you get a standing ovation for that because it is complicated. Uh, no one is in a, a relationship that is a loving relationship without complication. Abuse, physical violence is not acceptable. It's just not That's right. acceptable. That's right. Well, listen. Esther, thank you so much um, for taking the time uh, to talk to us. It was really enlightening, and we appreciate the good work you've done on this issue. Well, thank you. Have a good evening. Bye, Esther. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I, you know, I think that this is uh, really important. You hear struggling with shame. All of us are saying this. You know, you you have to really um, think pretty deeply about what you've entered into in deciding um, to, to take him back. And I want to talk about this idea, too, of forgiveness or believing if people can change or not. Uh, th- there is, you know, really very much a world in which struggling with shame, you can forgive your partner and believe in his capacity to change without being in a romantic relationship with him. And, you know, deciding not to be in a relationship with him is different from, say, deciding not to be his friend. You know, you could be somebody who supports him from from the sidelines as a friend and who says, I, you know, I do hope you find it within you to change. So, so in that next relationship, yeah. you don't behave in this way without entangling yourself with him romantically. I don't think that forgiveness always means taking somebody all the way back. Yeah. A lot of times it just means I wish you well. Yeah. Maybe one of the, the things that will help him change is to really see the consequences of his actions. Yeah. And and one of them is that he lost you. Yeah. We wish you luck. Absolutely. If you'd like to leave a question on our hotline, call 929-399-8477. Again, that's 929-399-8477. We'd love to hear from you. Dear Sugars is produced by the New York Times in partnership with WBUR. Our producer is Alexandra Lee Young. Our editor and managing producer is Larissa Anderson. Our executive producer is Lisa Tobin. And our editorial director is Samantha Hennig. We recorded the show at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon, with our wonderful engineer, Josh Millman. Our mix engineer is Brad Fisher. Our theme music is by the amazing band Wonderly, with vocals by Liz Weiss. 
please find us at nytimes.com slash dearsugars. You can send us your letters at dearsugars at nytimes.com. That's dearsugars, plural, at nytimes.com. And please check out our column, The Sweet Spot, at nytimes.com slash the sweet spot. 